0: With all the collective attention, and let's be real, anxiety, about the coming 2020 election, you might have missed that San Francisco voters just made some pretty big decisions on issues that are going to impact the city for years to come. Well, it is election day, and we've got some major races here in the Bay Area. Several candidates vying to be the city's next district attorney, a race that has seen spending in the millions.
1: Now, San Francisco voters also decided some key propositions that in some cases are receiving national attention. But this, of course, uh, an era of heavy, heavy challenges for San Francisco. A lot of wealth, a lot of problems. Does this feel like the election
2: lives up to the gravity of the moment? With Prop A, now voters in
0: San Francisco approved Proposition A, which allows the city to sell $600 million in bonds for affordable housing, making it the largest of its kind in san francisco
1: history
0: with affordable housing criminal justice reform and even vaping on the ballot san francisco's recent election seems like a microcosm of issues that are being debated across the country
2: on this episode of san francisco in flux guest co-host and mission housing tenant empowerment organizer aaron reeves joins us for a 2019 election debrief with san francisco examiner columnist joe fitz rodriguez We check on the pulse of this changing city and what's on deck for 2020. I'm Chirag Bhagta with Mission Housing. Welcome to San Francisco In Flux. We are recording from right here in the Mission Housing offices of 16th in Valencia. I want to welcome our guest host for today, Aaron Reeves. Hi. Mission Housing Tenant Empowerment Organizer. Uh, today we have Joe Fitz Rodriguez from the San Francisco Examiner. Hey. Columnist, reporter, on guard, the quintessential San Franciscan, as I've heard people call you. Wow. Yeah. I hadn't heard that. That's great. Yeah. Um, before we get into our discussion, some housekeeping, quick reminder. San Francisco Influx podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Podbean, B E A N. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button. We would greatly appreciate it. Welcome, Joe. Welcome to San Francisco Influx. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for being on here. Um, so, first things first. So, on our show, you know, we don't do a lot of prep. For the guests, as soon as you come on, we start asking the tough questions.
1: Well, you're reversing the tables on me. I, yeah, they are turned.
2: Yes, they are. I'm yes, ready. They are. Joe Fitz is in the hot seat today. So, first question: As San Francisco's darling Muni expert, Uh-oh. what bus did you take to get here today?
1: Oh gosh, <laughs> I took Bart. I'm sorry. You took Bart. <laughs> I took Bart. Wow. I'm the worst. Do
0: you need to wow. apologize for taking? Bart? I, I
1: think I might need to apologize for taking Bart, just because. It's the connection between downtown and the Mission is quicker by BART than by Muni. It's sad to say. I'm a Muni diehard. But the only time I'll ever take BART in the city is if I'm going to the Mission from downtown.
0: Do you have a favorite Muni line? Is that a thing?
1: Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, which one? Which one and why? (laughs) Uh, I like the 44 a lot. I like the 44 because of all the different communities it goes through. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I mean, you get a real beautiful taste of the south side of the city, you know, Uh, silver and the whatnot and then once you go up uh, you get a real beautiful slice of silver and uh, the south side and then you also get a, uh, a beautiful beautiful look at Golden Gate Park and all the communities by Clement and all that like the inner Richmond it's like it's such a weird wacky different turn and then you could even hop off into Glen Park Canyon and just like oh, I'm not in the city anymore. I'm in like... <laughs> Glen Bar
0: Canyon is nuts. It's nuts. It's
1: nuts, yeah. It's gorgeous. So gorgeous. It's like you can't even hear the traffic and all of a sudden you're like hiking in a wilderness, but it's still SF. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is true. This
0: is great. I think you should do muni tours where you just like get on this bus, go for an hour, see where it
2: takes you. you
1: Self-guided muni tours. Yeah. You should. That's not a bad idea. That's a... I feel like- that's
2: a few hundred dollar business right there. Oh my god, that's a ten dollars business right, right there. And boy, do the
1: journalists need it. <laughs> you all ever um, taken the seventy six X? That's a real question.
2: No, I don't know. I'm a I'm a diehard thirty eight Gary kid. Nice from youth. I don't take it that much anymore because um, I live in the Mission now. But as a TL kid, thirty eight Gary, thirty eight limited before yes, the Rapids
1: before the R's.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: what would you take it to?
2: Safeway to Van Ness, so I can take the any of the Van Ness buses up to North Beach to go to school. Um, shout out to Francisco and G-House. So we're going to get more into buses and transportation in a minute, but we actually asked you to be here to break down this recent election that we just had.
1: Oh, no, for sure.
0: Yeah. As the person who has covered kind of all of the issues that were in the election, actually read your pieces a lot. Um, what do you think were the most interesting takeaways, just high level from this past week?
2: Well, I
1: mean, this in, in you know, a lot of people will say, well, hey, this is, you know, Chesa Boudin winning um, the DA's race, district attorney's race, and Dean Presson winning supervisor for District 5, which is like, you know, the hate uh, Western Edition, Japantown, A Little slice of Inner Sunset. You know, like one easy narrative, people will tell you, oh, you know, this is going to you know, spell trouble for London Breed in the future for Mayor Breed in terms of, like, what she has to contend with, like putting forth her own vision, which a lot of people would describe as a little more conservative, Democrat-centrist Democrat vision versus a more progressive vision. But I'd actually argue the flip. i actually argue it's also a sign... Of Mayor London Breed and the moderates, uh, moderate Democrats' weakness right now. Mm. They're going through a big transition period. Like all the behind the scenes stuff, the people people on the ground don't see, but does affect you. Does affect you because of the policies that get passed, the way the cops are run, the way Muni is run, the way that everything we do is run. Um, those moderates, the people on the Breed team, they're going through a weird transition where all the kind of like elder statesmen, whether whoever they may be who run the behind the scenes stuff have all left. So they've got kind of a weak cabinet of folks trying to run things and they're getting beat. They're getting beat. That means that this is a time, an opening for progressives with progressive visions, progressive ideas on housing, progressive ideas on, on policing to make their way through and to get in positions of power in San Francisco. Because as we're seeing, everything that Breed is trying to do is kind of getting countered left, right, up, down, and center. Whether that be on the teacher housing initiative, where the board of supervisors kind of outflanked mm-hmm. them by bringing in the teachers' union to kind of increase affordable housing for teachers, uh, and uh, or even just this jobs housing linkage fee, which was recently passed at the board of supervisors, eleven zero, And that's a whole thing where we'll see new office development feed way more money into building affordable housing. That's huge and transformative. Breed wanted that number, that amount of money to be way lower, right? She wanted that feed down. She didn't want to scare away big tech. But she had no juice, as Willie Brown would say. You know, Willie Brown is all about the juice. How much juice do you have (laughs) to put forward what you want to do? Do you have it? And right now she does not. Uh, that, that's a high-level takeaway. But, you know, at the, at, the, at, the, at the kind of closer to the ground with Dean Preston, with Chasa, I mean, we're going to see a big test for ChaSA coming right up. I mean, shout-out to Mission Local and their good coverage. They broke out that um, a judge has kind of given a two-month deadline for uh, the DA's office to make a decision in the case of Sean Moore, who a guy in Ocean View who the cops hit up in 2017 to go like, Hey, your neighbors are, like, complaining you're making noise, and they had a restraining order against you. Are you violating it? And things escalated. They ended up shooting him in the gut and in the leg. Uh, He survived. But, you know, there's a decision about whether or not to charge those cops. And that's Chesa's whole thing, right? The dividing line between a progressive like Chesa Mm -hmm. and the moderates we've had or the, the folks that have, like Gascon, not charging cops in violent cases and shootings of San Franciscans. This is the time for Chesa to finally step up and charge a cop. So we 'll see what happens with that.
0: Wow that's okay. going to have to do that right away right that's away as soon as soon as,
1: as he steps into it I mean he's going off on his honeymoon the next month or so he's getting married he got married he's getting to go on his honeymoon, then he's going to come back from his honeymoon and he's going to go right into it.
2: Right into the pit of um, San Francisco politics and really like something you know a big issue. you know we had mentioned in the intro that you know San Francisco did really make some decisions on criminal justice right. and and really it's it's something that's talked about nationally as well you know and in admission housing you know a substantial a substantial majority of our residents are low income people of color sure. and who you know and this this has mm-hmm. been proven by numerous studies and lived experiences of tens of millions of people mm-hmm. you know low income people of color are disp- are disproportionately oppressed by the criminal justice system in the right. US and so you know I kind of want to ask um you know uh, seeing as, seeing as, as, one of the things you mentioned is, what does the election of this new DA mean for poor people of color in this city?
1: Well, Jason has promised to shift convictions. He's, I mean, to shift charges. He's, he's not going to charge stuff that that uh, 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 crimes that predominantly target that were that are predominantly of people of color and low-income people. I mean, some things he's already said. You know, it, it, all these kind of low-level crimes, including prostitution. He's not going to charge that. Which is great because we're going to see a progressive DA who's going to say, you know what, these kind of trumped up crimes that, you know, cops are obviously targeting poorer people who are trapped in the system that is a cycle. He's just not going to charge them. And that's really transformative. That's why this caught, why the DA's race caught national attention and caught national fire. I mean, people were talking about it all over the country because we're going to finally put. I mean, for years and years and years, people have been saying we need, you know, a more progressive outlook on these crimes. We need to lessen um, uh, sentencing. Um, And we've seen it in fits and starts. Prop 47 uh, reduced a lot of uh, uh, the level of offense for a lot of crimes. Um, uh, But we are going to finally actually see what it looks like when a progressive DA lessens these charges and we're going to finally put the theory to the test about you know how we get people out of this cycle of poverty uh, in terms of charging them with crimes that onerously burden their lives.
0: What kind of pushback do you think he's going to get around that? Because I know that there have been some progressive DAs around the country that have stepped forward and then have gotten pushback from state legislatures and things like that. Do you think that he's going to face any of that
1: here? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you can you can bet, you can absolutely bet that. Um, The mayor's office and other uh, moderate Democrats are going to try to pin any increase on crime on Chase's policies, just like they did with Gascon. Like, you know, when Gascon, to his credit, I mean, there's, you know, he didn't charge any cops for um, uh, in in, uh, SFPD shootings, which was unfortunate, but he did, you know, was a proponent of Prop 47 and uh, uh, which, uh, you know, then folks were uh, the cops and especially the POA. Police Officers Association, uh, the, the uh, uh, Association for Officers, uh, blamed the increase in property crimes on the passage of Prop 47. Blamed the car break-ins, broke, smashed in windows, laid it all at Gascon's feet. Look, this is Gascon's fault. Um, and they hung with it. They really did. Um, so we're gonna see that if property crime goes up, if violent crime goes up, Chesa will suffer all of that politically.
2: Similar playbook to what oh, was used in the past.
1: Absolutely. And and the POA did come after um, Chaser real strong near the end. It, all the money came in way too late. It was, mm-hmm. I think, $600,000 that came mm-hmm. in. Something yeah, something yeah about $600,000. Yeah, some, somewhere around there. In what we call an independent expenditure committee, which is essentially just a, like an independent campaign uh, uh, that runs separate from candidates, and they usually run against some candidate, like... We're a bank account that only spends on ads that trash this candidate. And they were, and the POA was gunning for for Chesa. Didn't work.
0: It
2: was a nail-biter, though. It really was. It was indeed, as was a lot of things in this election. Um, except, I think, I mean, I, I, I would say I think it was a good year for affordable housing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not we, that we're invested at yeah, all. No, no I don't know, yeah. not yeah. Um, you
1: guys would probably know a heck of a lot more about the ballot measures and that ran than I do um, in that case. But
2: but we still have questions for you <laughs> around this. Um, so you know, you know, it's, you know like uh, uh, like Prop A was a six six hundred million dollar bond. Um, Prop E was also a teacher housing measure um, to to in in you know in order to expedite affordable housing for 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 SFUSD uh, the workforce. Um, you know what. One thing that that i 've noticed um, by, with with my experience doing affordable housing advocacy and organizing in the neighborhood was that a few years ago this was a protest like a grassroots protest issue mm-hmm. that you know affordable housing was something we took to the streets for we had to and then we took over city hall a few times and now you know it 's it's seemingly become an apex issue in this city, if not, if not, you know, perhaps around the state. Um, and I kind of, you know, I kind of want to wonder: Can a candidate win an election in San Francisco without including affordable housing as one of their main primary um, issues?
1: I mean, here's the thing, though: is is I, I think you're right. I think that you know, a candidate should and must include a plan for affordable housing and funding affordable housing. Too. I mean, it's one thing to say you're for it, but you know, where do you get the money, right? But you know, a lot of candidates will slice how they talk about housing in so many different ways, and not everyone's an expert, right? You could say it, but it doesn't mean that your plan will fund it, and and you can and you can present a vision for it. Um, a lot of folks aren't subject matter experts, but what I will say it becomes important in is getting those key endorsements and making those key allies, right? Like a lot of the people who are stumping for Dean are energized by his plans around housing. And those people who are a little more keyed in and who are a little more studied up, it builds energy. So it isn't so much like what the voter is making a decision on, it's how you build the campaign and the momentum. And by that measure, I think you're right. I think by that measure you need to have a really strong affordable housing plan so you get uh, the key endorsements you need. Although, you know, not every endorsement that was considered key is still key anymore. Like, I guess the Democratic Party, San Francisco, didn't endorse Dean, and uh, we saw how that turned out. And uh, Jen Snyder, his campaign manager, flipped a bird to the <laughs> Democratic Party, which I thought was so funny. The buttons. <laughs> oh my lord! Are you kidding? Yeah, absolutely. I, I included the fo- the illustration that David Hellman did for his buttons at the top of my article because <laughs> yeah, I was interviewing him while he was drawing that, <laughs> and then he drew it. I was like, "Hey, can I use that for my article?" And he's like, "Shh."
0: <laughs> Grassroots art. I love it. <laughs> like, All right, okay,
1: it. man. It's cool.
0: Do you think because? The other thing that we talk about is that $600 million sounds like a lot of money. But actually, to solve the scale of the problem, we need lots more money, tons more money. Tons more money and there's you know, talk of a mega measure coming that's going to be billions and billions. And I think my fear is that voters keep seeing all of these bonds and then are going to get tired of them before we actually get the amount of money that we need to solve the problem. Do you think people are gonna keep having an appetite for affordable housing measures as they they keep getting put on the ballot?
1: In San Francisco, no, in California, maybe. Mm. I mean, you know, in San Francisco, the voters are mostly renters, though in low turnout elections, they turn out to be more uh, uh, homeowners. But even then, you know, like renters, Outnumber the homeowners in San Francisco. So in San Francisco, we'll always say yes to those bonds, okay. but Go in San Francisco. yeah, <laughs> but some of those mega measures need approval from you know either the region, multiple counties, yeah, multiple counties, or, or or the state. And in that case, you get a more dicey proposition because you get more homeowners who are going to see that on their bill. They're going to see that on their you know uh, they're going to see that annually, and and they're not going to want to say yes. And
0: don't necessarily think about that collective good yeah and
1: there are other mega measures coming there's like a sales tax that's supposed to be like a hundred billion dollar mega measure for transportation coming up uh that's going to be a lot of money Mm -hmm. and then and transit is necessary and we're seeing both And we'll see the transit nerd says the transit nerd but we see but we see that these different infrastructure needs are competing right we we have a housing deficit we have a trans infrastructure deficit i mean when people get displaced they're going to need better BART and better transit in there. I mean, we're so blessed with Muni, right? We're so blessed. But, you know, in other cities, they don't have, or other towns, you know, Pleasanton, whatever, right? You know, uh, uh, you can even say Antioch, like, doesn't have, like, their own local bus service to take people to BART. And BART doesn't have enough capacity, even if they did, to get people to the city to work. So the more you see that, the more you see people drive, the more you see cars um, gum up San Francisco's roads, and the more screwed we all are.
0: What I hope on that one my little two cents is that the housing measure comes before the transit measure so that right. the cost of the land Because transit comes and it bumps up the cost of land oh, and then true. as affordable housing Developers you have to pay a lot more and it becomes a lot more expensive to build. Oh so. sure
1: I mean we saw the Google that's buses sort of a good point. the Google yeah. bus stops drive up rents all in a little locate local area around each one You can rent this apartment right near a Google bus stop Three thousand seven hundred dollars a month for a studio. I can afford that. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want to live next to a Google bus store? Hey, I'm just saying, putting it out there for the podcast people. I'm looking for a new roommate. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I it show re-
2: fits up if you need a
0: roommate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got I, I've got if a roommate. you want to be his roommate. Oh, yeah, I know, right? You know, playing video
0: games. Yeah. know, all the
1: stuff about politics. Right? Yeah. I'd be like, vetching, ah, oh, today Marilyn Debrie gave me such a hard time. It was the worst. i come home, like, drinking a beer.
0: <laughs> Can we, um, do you want to go back to the board for a second? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Were you going to take it in a different direction? Go ahead. Okay, so because I know we were talking about nail-biter races mm-hmm. the other one being Dean Preston and Valley Brown um, And this is definitely gonna change the makeup of the board mm-hmm. and just wondering what you think Policies and politics are gonna look like coming out of the board of soups now that Well, I'm gonna get
1: real in the weeds, but I think it's worth it like okay the progressive board already has a near veto-proof majority, right? They are coming into this with seven votes. It's so eleven members of the board of supervisors for your listeners who may not be policy wonks, and those the, that board, you know, uh, uh, once you get to eight, right, that's a veto-proof majority. the 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 uh, mayor will have trouble vetoing your uh, your measure. But here's the thing: is that the way it works is not that it blocks a veto; it makes it so that when she sends. By by vetoing a, a piece of legislation like changing uh, housing affordability in the city and how it's measured, right, whatever it may be, or at bringing a funding measure onto the ballot or whatever, um, when she when she vetoes something, it goes back to the board for a revote. So if you're politically savvy enough as a mayor, you could peel off one of those supervisors' votes for the veto-proof majority. So having Seven is pretty good because then you can convince one of the moderate supervisors to join you. But once you have eight guaranteed, now with Dean in the picture, then all of a sudden you've got like a solid eight lock. And there's just no peeling anyone off. There's there's a far, far less danger that your stuff is going to get, your legislation is going to get blocked. So the progressives now have every tool in the toolbox that they need to put forward whatever their progressive vision is the only question is will they actually do it that's i mean they they have had significant advantages before and they have screwed up their significant advantages there is a rift between two factions of the progressive supervisors uh kind of the aaron peskin camp and the hillary ronan slash tom amiano slash david campos camp right you know the, the former supervisors of, of this district that we're sitting in right now And, you know, they have a lot of, I mean, they they competed over the board presidency uh, uh, like a year ago. Um, They do not see eye to eye on a lot of things. And so if they can't get over their differences and put together, like, I mean, all progressives are not created equal, right? They all have different ideas of what progressive is. If they can't get their shit together, (laughs) then then Mayor Breed may have an opening.
2: While while you were speaking, one thing that came to mind was something that we were actually talking about in in our prep was... You know, does even, you know, even with what the numbers look like on the board of soups right now, does anyone, first of all, have a coherent vision for what they want to see in this city right now? Um, And does anyone have a mandate to, to 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 see that vision through?
1: I mean, it's hard to have any one supervisor have a mandate from the city, right? Because they're district-wide elections. People in other districts don't often know who the hell the other supervisors even are. They barely know who their own supervisor is. It's, <laughs> it's, hard, to keep it, it's hard to keep track of all this stuff, right? But it's, um, But that said, you know, very often once they win an important election like this, and I haven't checked in to see if they're going to do this, but in previous years when they win an election like this and get a kind of a progressive majority, they'll have a little dinner. And they'll have a dinner with either the ledge aides or enough supervisors where they're not triggering any any laws like making a quorum. Uh, That's hysterical Yeah, <laughs> They have to be very careful with that You can't all gather in one place or else it's technically a meeting yeah. yeah it's a brown eye yeah. violation yeah. Um, Even on the elevator They have to do that <laughs> I've seen that happen
2: right. well, Too so many of them will get, get on the elevator and one has to exit <laughs> Oh my gosh I
0: would love to be there for that moment uh, like, like guys, you, 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 you pull, pull rank goal. You have to get off Wait.
1: <laughs> Oh my gosh that's really good. I need to remember that. That's funny, um, and uh, you know, and so they'll have. I mean, obviously, they'll have all checked in with their neighborhood people. Like, what do they think needs to happen? And they'll they'll have a feeling and you know, like a temperature of that. But then they'll take that information and go meet up together and be like, okay, what the hell is our priority? What what is the one if we push one thing forward or two things forward? What will they be? And I remember they did that after um, kind of Hillary and and Sandy. Uh, sandra Feuer and hillary ronan won and kind of all those goals kind of dissipated especially because there were other elections that were coming up just in a few months that kind of threw that all out of whack so you know they have had an advantage before and miffed it
0: (laughs) so
2: to be seen biffed
1: it pardon me yes (laughs) yes to be seen he was the wrong old-timey slang. Yes. <laughs> um,
2: and to keep up with all of what's happening in City Hall, make sure you you read the on-guard column in the Examiner, written yeah. by our very own Joe Fitz. Not our very own Frisco's very own Joe Fitz. Oh. I can say that. Yeah. I, the hour I meant was Frisco. Frisco's very own Joe Fitz. Um, uh, I wanted to briefly go back to um, when you were talking about transit and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, look, you and I have been riding Muni since we were babies right like we you know i think i think you may have a bit more compassion for the mta than i do <laughs> um but you know but you know we know what the problems are mm-hmm. we know that quite honestly um the same lines that are crowded and underserved 20 30 years ago remain so right. and a lot of these are in neighborhoods uh, or at least go through neighborhoods and get filled up in neighborhoods that have a lot of low income people and a lot of people of color. Sure. You know, the the you know, I talked about how I love thirty eight Gary, I do, but I that that bus is way too crowded most of the time. It goes through downtown, then it goes through the TL. Funds <laughs> yeah. it is just absolutely yeah. bursting at the seams. And, you know, the 14, 49, etc. And one thing I wanna ask is is first of all, why? Like <laughs> like like is is it more complicated than just adding additional bus lines during peak hours, mm-hmm. um, or is it is 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 the answer really simple? And people at the MTA just don't want to mm. to to put the money into the infrastructure that'll make public transportation easier for poor people in this city. Outside of you know, to be fair, like there are a lot of free ridership programs for for low income people to get on without paying. Um, but at the end of the day, if the bus is still overcrowded, the bus is still overcrowded.
1: I would say vision and execution are two different things. Like we see, we saw this with Ed Riskin, who was the former head of MTA. You know, running Muni. Like you know, he had a pretty good vision. Like when he talked the talk, he he spoke words that people generally liked. Like we need, you know, under his leadership, there was a equity program that was instituted, so that Muni took a special lens to. People of color and low-income communities making sure they get the service they need um, not that it's you know worked but <laughs> they said they're trying <laughs> um but then you know there's there's some things that that come up rub up against that and it's kind of the biggest there's a, there's a few barriers the biggest overarching barrier i would say is you know you know you hear this in housing a lot the idea of nimbyism and and you know there's problems with that narrative but in transit Nimbyism is real easy to spot. It's the person who goes, "Yo, you can't, you can't put uh, a bus only lane that would make this all faster and more reliable here because if you eliminate my parking, then fuck you." And you know that can be a problem some places. Like you know, obviously we saw that in the mission where yeah, with the red lanes, with the red lanes, street yeah. But there's a real trade off because the red lanes do make the buses faster. They do make them more reliable, and they do make that run better. But at the same time, making sure that businesses are preserved and are not under siege is really important. Um, we saw that with the Central Subway. Like, you know, the building Central Subway, it's two to three years late, depending on how you count. Uh, and that delay is leading to uh, shops closing. Like, you know, dim sum shops that have been there for 40 years closing. That's a blow to the Chinatown community, to the Chinese community. Like, Chinatown is like a precious Precious place that has that has always been very much mm-hmm. under threat, mm-hmm. and uh, just like the mission, and um, you know to see businesses closing because the subway took a little too long is is just really sad mm-hmm. to see, yeah. um, and so there there is this push and pull between how do you make transit faster while preserving businesses who might be hurt by things, and the board of soups is really looking, at and Aaron Peskin frankly is really looking at like how do you boost money in Muni and make, give them a clear directive to make sure to preserve businesses, small mom and pop shops that are the character and the life and the blood of our neighborhoods while still improving Muni service. That's, that's, that's one of the tensions. Um, another of the tensions is, frankly, SF is growing. Yeah. And the more people are in here, the more people on Muni. Muni's ridership is more than 700,000 customers per day. Whoa. More than 700,000 people jump on Muni every single day. Can you guess BARTs? Guess BARTs.
0: 250,000.
1: Oh, actually, that's not bad. Uh, most people, most people <laughs> guess more. Most people guess more. Yeah, that's why I was Because like, the way you asked the question, I knew it
0: was yeah.
1: less. It's, right? Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's like, four, it's, it's like 400,000. No, it's just gotcha questions. Yeah, <laughs> that was my gotcha.
0: <laughs> I love how you're asking us questions, Yeah, too. I'm like, hey, I'm, hey, get in this. <laughs> can't take
1: the journalism. <laughs>
2: but,
1: but BART's like 400,000. Oh. Muni's like 700,000. But it's very that's spread almost, out.
2: That's almost... The entire population of this city.
1: That's right. But you have to, you have, when you when you count ridership, you count every person that has walked on. You don't know how many people are walking on a one bus like two or three times. Yeah, okay. That's so, you know, it, I would say yeah. the number of people is probably more like 350,000 every day because of the commutes. That's still
2: pretty substantial. That's still
1: pretty damn substantial. That's a lot, That's a lot of people. And you don't get the same level, especially on the federal level of investment. I mean, you all know about housing, right? You know about housing expertly. And one thing you probably would tell me about housing and funding is that the federal amount of uh, dollars that's gone towards housing is far lower than it has been. And the state. And the state. Redevelopment.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: The same story is true with with transit. The same story is very true with transit. So that's why as our population is booming, we see... The investment in transit lowering. In fact, Trump, um, Trump's newest uh, bills for uh, not bills, Trump's newest allocation for the federal transit administration (FTA) uh, has like basically skewed everything towards highways.
0: Oh no! Yeah,
1: every dollar. Yeah, there's so many. A lot of localities. Time? Every locality in the nation is dependent on grant funding from the federal government for big projects that's how we built central subway or our building central subway that's how we built bart uh that's how we build every uh the van s bus rapid transit um everything is done with some help of federal dollars and nearly all of the like public transit dollars have been like winnowed to nearly nothing and everything is going towards highways so it's 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 going to be a dangerous time for for building more transit infrastructure in the future and that's another of the tensions that muni faces is that they haven't been able to grow their bus riders their bus fleet and their train fleet and their train and bus infrastructure along with our population growth and then that makes even worse tensions when it comes to neighborhood buses neighborhood buses are so vital like you know, 18 park Merced that takes People from who are living on the far side mm-hmm. of Lake Merced, over by SF State, who you know are probably going to own a car because it's easier getting them to the train so they can go yeah. downtown yeah. or whatever. Right? You know, you have these little neighborhood buses that make it so you can get to the, the bigger, yeah. faster. The Forty-eight. know on twenty-fourth. Right. Exactly. The Forty Quintara is really, really useful for that. Like, it's a connector line that connects neighborhoods. Not nece- or connects people to the main lines to go downtown mm-hmm. not necessarily like the 14 or the 49 or the 38 which takes you downtown the main those are the biggest like most populous lines um and when Muni feels that pinch of not having enough buses to make those big lines run they have to short those little lines so you get people like the the 48 getting less service or the 36 Cantara like way up like above soda at Twin Peaks like, um, kind of running all the way down to uh, City College, like that has fewer buses, and then you and those buses are like the toughest ones because you got three buses on that line only, right? Yeah. Three only that run all, that run all day, and they and you catch it once every forty minutes or something, and then it becomes two buses all day because they have to put one on the on the fourteen or the forty nine, so you're screwed. I mean, we just saw that with the Chase Center; they took buses off of the eight serving, you know lots of communities of color and low-income communities, they took buses off the 8 Bay Shore to serve people going to the Chase Center for mm. their Dave Matthews concert. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, that seems like top priority. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So then they're making trade-offs and they don't always make the right ones, or sometimes, no matter what trade-off they make, it's terrible. So Yeah,
2: yeah, especially with limited resources, Yeah, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's that's why, that's why I'd say I'm like, what we have to look forward to, and it's tough to, it's tough because it's, it's like dark. hard to go to, to Trump and be like, "Yo, Trump, we need buses." What does Trump care about buses? Or San Francisco? <laughs> or San Francisco? <laughs> San Francisco good is list. suffering. Not <laughs> good list. Yeah, Trump's gonna be like, "Hey, <laughs> that's, that's great."
0: <laughs> to get us back to the the 2019 election before we go to the 2020 election. Mm. I'm, all right, I'm holding so much anxiety. Um, <laughs> What do you have? Know. Yeah, just take an breathe. old moment, breathe. Um, do you have a favorite, a favorite moment from this election, or do you a most surprising moment? As somebody who has covered elections for a while, was there anything that really stood out in your mind? Uh,
1: really stood out. This was a sleepier election. This was like an election that fewer people citywide were keyed into, which was a shame. Um, God, I've. <laughs> There are little moments, like little moments within all this, that I really enjoyed. I mean, I have referenced this one before, but when Dean Preston's campaign manager, Jen Snyder, flipped <laughs> off the entire San Francisco Democratic Party when he lost the endorsement, I I freaking cracked up. That was beautiful. I mean, it's this like rebel spirit, and it was really indicative not just of you know that kind of attitude, which is fun, but um, also that you know the progressives have a lot of youth on their side. They have a lot of young people who are like trying to transform the city.
2: What's the buzz for March for the March primary and for November 2020?
1: Oh man, yeah, there's so many bees buzzing around on that one. Yeah, they're going. They're just in and out they're
0: of here. Inside my stomach.
1: <laughs> That's oh where no. they are. <laughs> <laughs> no, This took t- 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 a turn for a yeah. horror movie. Like yeah. it's all of so a sudden they start bulging out of. The- <laughs> that is how it feels. Feel 2020. Well, I was at the. Um, I was at the uh, um, uh, John's Grill Election Day luncheon, which is where Willie Brown invites everyone and tries to make uh, for lunch at John's Grill in downtown, tries to make it uh, Switzerland. He wants like, you know, like progressives, moderates to come and break bread and all that. Oh. So I go because it's good to get the gossip. Um, and it's good bread. And it's good bread. <laughs> Willie Brown, his pockets are lined. He can afford good bread. <laughs> Bread's
0: the most important part of any meal.
1: That's it really awesome. is. Yeah, I, I think I think that's true. I think it's sourdough mm-hmm. usually.
0: Okay, this is not about me, but I bake sourdough bread. Back what? to the What you bake sourdough bread? <laughs> I that's do. awesome. I will hit you up with a loaf. Yes, Back please. <laughs>
1: that is my that is my cost of being on podcasts. I would like one loaf of sourdough bread, please, for every podcast. Happy to do it. That's awesome. Um, uh, and uh, you know, there's some folks who are rumored to be running. There is uh, a college board member, uh, a City College of San Francisco board, uh, board member, who may be running in District Seven, which is Normanese District right now. The uh, uh, yeah, kind of the uh, Park Merced uh, area, like around there, right? Uh, that might keep that progressive majority on the board of supervisors because you yeah, got to understand, District 7, that southwest side of the city, that's not a really progressive side of the city. That's a bunch of homeowners. are chilling. They're like, hey, leave my property taxes alone. Don't build things high. Also, we don't want affordable housing here. Don't do it. Um, you know, they, they ain't happy about that shit. So uh, there's a chance that uh, a moderate challenger might come out of the woodwork. You know, it's long been rumored that the former fire chief, Joanne Hayes-White, would run there. And, you know, Irish people love their own. <laughs> and uh, and she's really popular on the west side of the city in general just because, you know, she wears a fire uniform it looks all cool and stuff.
0: And right now it's the fire
1: apocalypse. So it's the fire know. apocalypse. Yeah, come on, the fire's raging all across Northern California. How are you not going to look cool in that fire uniform? We haven't seen her emerge and say she's going to run yet, but... It's always been a long rumor. Uh, there's a fellow, Ben Matrenga, who's uh, run before there, who is kind of in that moderate camp, who might maybe run. Uh, Joel Engardio, a former Examiner columnist. We can't have him as a columnist when he runs for things. But, uh, you know, he, he's an uh, 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 out-and-proud gay fellow who uh, really just uh, is more for the mod squad. So he he is... Running D seven, I kind of love that.
0: I've never heard the
1: mod squad. Before. Mod squad, mod squad, hashtag mod squad, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's 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 uh, it's that's probably going to be one of the races to watch. Um, there are some rumored kind of uh, challengers to Aaron Peskin in District Three in North Beach Chinatown. But no one substantial, just all like kind of like challengers and name only, just to like highlight the race. And then uh, also in uh, uh, District One, you got uh, which is the Richmond. We have uh, Sandra Fuhr up uh, for re-election, and you know she had said to a few people at like a holiday party a year ago that she might not run. Hmm. Yeah, Um, but. Uh, which you know is a shame. She's kind of you know she's she's an out and proud progressive. She's the one who said "fuck the POA" and led that good old chant.
2: She has her she has her re-election chant ready to go. <laughs> Fuck the POA. <laughs>
1: that's 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 you know there you go. She's gonna be right up at the podium in the middle of the Richmond district saying it. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know it seems like she's got both her feet in at this point. Um, but you know you never know. That rumor did float around that she said that last year. Um, who else? And you know the the uh, the mod squad did seem to want to put up a district one challenger. Um, they had a planning commission appointment, who they quickly withdrew. Who was an cool. Asian fellow who lived in the Richmond district, and I guess they must have found some reason for him not to run for for this seat, mm. but. you you could see it when they put up the planning commissioner appointment and then in the like press release they're like, and he's from the Richmond district who a home he loves. It's like, wow, that's not obvious guys. (laughs) Just like, just put it out there. Will you? Um,
0: any ballot measures that you've already heard talk about?
1: Uh, ballot measures? I'm sure there are some. I'm blanking right now, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's okay.
0: Everybody will be paying attention to the primaries.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a huge... Well, it is the time for ballot measures, right? It's the time for ballot measures because you have more progressives who are going to be out there voting for the primaries and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, when you have a big-ticket item like that, you get younger people to vote. You get people who are who are sometimes non-voters to vote. Uh, And usually the electorate skews more progressive when you have a big ticket race like that. So it is an advantage for those who are running as progressives in the city. It is an advantage for those who want to kind of bring higher taxation to raise money for different efforts around housing or transportation. I believe actually 2020 might be the um, the transportation mega measure one, the sales tax, the $100 billion sales Hmm. tax. I believe that's 2020.
2: That is the rumor that I've
1: heard as well. Right. Right. So that's that's a big deal. That's that's gonna be huge for I mean a
2: hundred billion dollars. A hundred billion dollars. Is indeed a big deal. That's 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 more money
1: than we've seen.
0: (laughs) I wonder in the future if just all of the measures will be like three billion dollars. Like you know how million is now just like, oh yeah, million, six hundred million, no big deal. So it's billion. Yes, exactly. One million dollars. Yes, 100% what I was thinking right there. And, and for
1: those who can't see us because this is a podcast, we had our pinkies right up to our mouths. It's great. Appropriately. Appropriately. I don't have a, a naked cat to pet. No. Just my You know, it's good. <laughs> I was doing that to the microphone earlier, so. It's it, works. it works. It works. No, it totally works. I mean, that that one might crowd out of the tax measures, though. People mm. tend not to want to put multiple tax measures on the ballot at the yeah, same time. yeah. Because then they'll all fail. Lightly. Right. It's a lot easier to argue. Yeah. They're raising our taxes too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Too high. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's certainly an appetite for for, um, for uh, bond measures in San Francisco when the only people who can afford homes are, like, very rich and very wealthy. Yeah. It's like.
0: Yeah. Everybody feels the need.
1: Right. Yeah. Indeed. I mean, if they can afford to buy a million-dollar house, they can afford to pay a little extra every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For yeah. sure.
2: Yeah. Um, I kind of want to close out. The, the election piece um, and kind of get to know
1: Joe before the Fitz Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Just <laughs> you know my friends used to call me Joey for a long time and then when we like hit like college age all of a sudden they were like Joey was like too, was too kiddy they mm-hmm. had to call me Joe and then I just started going by Joe it was weird nice if you want to do Joey <laughs> you, you can go for it <laughs> Fits also? I used to teach at Fits? I used to teach at School of the Arts High School as an artist in residence for seven years before I was in journalism. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a, one of my students actually had a film out. You might have heard of it. It's called Last Black Man in San Francisco. <gasps> yes. Yeah. So the director, Joey Talbot, was one of my students. I knew oh, nice. I had him all four you. years. Oh, gosh, no. He was naturally talented, but I helped him a little bit. Um, but he always had a talent for cutting film and yeah. and for and for and for making a good movie. Although he did a lot of documentaries actually before he did this, uh, his senior project was with the star of Last Black Man, Jimmy Fails, um, and it was him and Jimmy going on a date with some women in uh, with some girls in a, from a high school, but they were like out in the like Far Bay area. And like it was this whole thing where they go on this surreal date and they see and they're just like fish out of water like San Francisco kids who are like,
2: yeah, <laughs> what are
1: these weird things we're seeing in the suburbs out here in the East Bay? Yeah, in the East Bay. This is crazy. Oh, God. And then one of the dates, the dates for for Jimmy, the star of Last Black Man, turns out to be like this whack. Like Joe's having a the director of Last Black Man is in his own movie. And he's he's having a great date. He's making out with the lady with the girl in in some room. But then Jimmy is having a terrible time because his date is like worshiping like this weird idol and is like doing chants and throwing like all sorts of like uh, um, uh, different potions around and is like a witch or something. <laughs> and eventually, uh, some supernatural things haunt the hell out of them. And they decide to run (laughs) and they're running through this surreal town, seeing all these crazy uh, suburban things that are then twisted into like almost like a horror movie. And they run and somehow they get to treasure. Oh, they take they run and take Bart uh, to safety. And somehow they get to Treasure Island. I don't know how that happens. And they, like, fall on their knees at the view of San Francisco. And the last, like, shots are, like, San Francisco opening up before them in this beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, gorgeous vista. And they're just like, thank God. We're home. We're here. We're back. I just thought I just thought of that while watching last Last Black Man. Because the, the two films are, like, tonally very similar. Just a little slightly absurd, slightly real, slightly whacked out almost like exaggerated in a dream. Like, I love that shit. Sorry, nice. no questions. I yes. just went off. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, well, you know, as, as someone who, you know, born and raised in this city, who is now covering it as a reporter and columnist, mm-hmm. you know, do you, do you feel that sometimes your objectivity may get challenged by your heartstrings, as you see what happens to the city you love, the people who you know, who grew up here and made this city being priced out and pushed out. Um, Yeah.
1: Luckily I'm, I'm a columnist, so I don't have to have objectivity. Well, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, freedom. That's why my Twitter is so fire. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but the, uh, you know, I, I think it's more important journalistically anyways, to be fair than it is to be objective. Like, to pretend you don't have a bias or is to pretend you don't have an opinion and to pretend you don't have a heart. Every journalist does. Every person does. And when you pretend that you're quote unquote unbiased, which I think it's just a terrible term that should just be thrown in a dumpster and trashed. Um, you just pretend you don't have feelings, which is a lie. So you're not telling the reader how you feel. So I'm grateful I get to be a columnist because I get to tell readers how I feel and say, hey, I'm from the city. I feel this way. I've seen this my whole life. This is where I'm coming from. Maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't. And I'm going to lay out the argument as fairly as I can. Um, but I'm going to tell you where I'm coming from with it, mm. which I think is really key. And you know, there are times when like, you know, I feel like uh, maybe a bigger platform like the Chronicle like can like outgun me with a with a column or something on a particular topic. And then I remind myself, you know, my my perspective is from being an SF native, and even if I, it's important to preserve that voice and preserve an SF native voice for other for other natives who're still out there, and for the people who need to be reminded of where we're coming from. Not that we're all monolithic. I mean, you know, some kid from sh is probably going to feel a lot different than sacred heart cathedral preparatory it's probably going to feel a lot different than yeah. someone who went to gal Galileo high school yes <laughs> shout out shout out to g house yeah and then you know not everyone from g house necessarily would have
2: all the this opinions is true. we share a lot of people i went to school with don't necessarily agree with me yeah a lot of people do
1: yeah but a lot of people don't well, you know who went to g house mayor london breed yes she did yes, yes she did Yes um so, so but I like to incorporate that stuff in there like you know a little bit of like where I'm from in like like you know when Alex Nanto was killed like I went to high school with alex Nanto so like incorporating like my my experiences with him into that coverage just trying to tell the perspective of that like in in when doing the reporting I think was really key um and just when when things like that happen like I try to like bring that into it. Like, I did a whole Last Black Man retrospective, but I did that with, like, a slice of, like, having known Joe and the the, the director and trying to, like, bring a little bit of that, like, his time as a student into it and maybe embarrass him a little bit, which is kind of fun. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you ain't so special. <laughs> I saw you when you were hitting on girls and you had a fuzzy mustache. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, do, do you feel it's important for... That specific voice, whether it be yours or other voices that are that were made in San Francisco to tell the story of San Francisco right now,
1: oh, I absolutely think it's so key because, like, like San Francisco has so many like people from here that have a very specific culture, and those cultures are like measured by blocks, and you don't mm-hmm. know them unless you've been here. Yeah. And you can don't even know all of them. You, you got to get out there and be like a, be like a connoisseur of this shit. I, I don't even know all of them. Hell no, right? I mean, there, they're, 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 yeah.
2: there's, there's, there's small little micro neighborhoods in this city that I'm still discovering. That, don't you love that yeah, I love that that people go they ride hard for these blocks yeah we ain't
1: never heard of yeah yeah yeah, yeah. totally like it's just like you don't know this alley you yeah. don't know this spot <laughs> let me tell you the history of this yeah. spot like okay all right, all right. Okay. microclimates and microneighborhoods yeah that's right <laughs> that's true look at that teeny tiny we are microclasses. <laughs> teeny tiny but very proud <laughs> and I, very big ego yeah there you go <laughs> but it helps to have those like you know those shared experiences and those shared perspectives to like kind of bring it out because like there are some things that like like in little ways like it affects what we do at work like uh, in, at the examiner like I try to like shout out to my my colleagues who may not be SF natives and we're all experts in some things and they help me a lot with things that I'm not expert in all the time but like you know my my ability is to be able to be like I think I know how this would play to an to Certain segments of the SF audience mm-hmm. here's how to switch up that story, and so, in very subtle ways, i'm able to do that and help them out and bring that out for the people who are here. I think it helps our coverage a lot, and I hear a lot from people that they're they're really happy that we're able to bring that voice and it you know it doesn't always have to be me like you know bring other people's voices into it or from the city, and I try my best to do that, but it's just important to do that in general
2: what are other local voices that our listeners should be looking into, reading, following on Twitter, Instagram, etc. Hmm. That's a great question. I love that question. God, thank that's, you, Aaron. That's,
1: <laughs> that's a good call. Do you mean like SF natives or do you mean just like local, any local coverage? No, nah, local, local, right? I mean,
2: at the end of the day, look, you don't got to be born here, in my opinion, at least, and this may be highly contested, mm. but you don't got to be born here to be someone who's like local. No right like there's a lot of people who 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 may not have been born at like Kaiser or St Luke's or general et cetera right. um, that still carry the, the carry the flag for this city yeah. right? and, and 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 oftentimes carry the flag for their neighborhoods even to this day um I to- I so totally yeah hear so by that. local I mean like you know. Who's like who, who? Who the people who know this city or know their block?
1: Oh, who the, who
2: whose voice needs to be heard right now?
1: Huh. Well, if we're talking media, if we're talking media. I mean, who I read? I mean, Joe Eskenazi, easily Mission Local. I, I don't agree with everything he says all the time. Um, he's taken some controversial positions that you know I'm not always in favor of. But if you want someone who at the very least cares a hell of a lot about this city, whether you agree with him all the time or not. It's definitely Joe Nassi at Mission Local, like, for sure, in a heartbeat. Um, you know who I really love following on Facebook is Kelly Cutler from the mm-hmm. Coalition on Homelessness. Like, Kelly is really able to show you on the ground what's happening with homelessness. You know, when someone dies mm-hmm. who was homeless, who they've tried to get help for. I like, I love, I love seeing the outpouring of love for those people, and I hate to see it happen. But I love that she brings a light to it, and... And to be able to see uh, that perspective. Um, who else? I mean I just like go I really love neighborhood newspapers. They don't always get a lot of love and they don't they're not as like you know well read because they're not online as much, but like the Richmond Review, The West Side Observer, uh, uh, the formerly Ingleside Excelsior Light which only just shut down very sadly. Uh, the Potrero View, uh, El Tecolote, um, you know, a lot of these places, a lot of neighborhoods in the city—not um, the Maria Times, though, don't be the Maria Times. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, a lot, of, a lot, a lot of neighborhoods in the city are like have like deep neighborhood ties in these papers, and some of them are a bit of an older person's perspective. That's kind of the thing; that's how it goes. But um, I really think it's really cool to like have someone who's like going to the community meetings and going to like community events, and like you know, I get to see the what the local elementary schools are up to and. What, what's new with the parks So how are the parks being built up and that's like it's really like it connects me I like that about them
0: that's really lovely actually I feel like you have found your correct job <laughs> makes me
2: happy <laughs> thank you as the as as a once again the quintessential San Franciscan that could be your job title oh nice. um, Joey uh, Fitz <laughs>
1: I appreciate that
2: we want to thank Joe Fitz Rodriguez from the examiner columnist of on guard for being on san francisco influx once again you can find us on google play itunes Podbean, b-e-a-e b-e-a-n <laughs> excuse me um and spotify um and again a uh, big shout out to friend of the show hopefully friend of me joe fitz uh, of my course. my favorite columnist in this city um, yeah thank you so much for joining us on this episode you